0: Today on Physically Spiritual, I'm joined by Dr. Kathleen Birchelman, the co-founder of My Catholic Doctor. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Today I have the honor and the privilege to introduce you to Dr. Kathleen Birchelman. She's a wife and a mother of seven. She's a board certified pediatrician with a fellowship in medical ethics at Weston Jesuit School of Theology. She and her husband founded My Catholic Doctor, an online Catholic medical practice in 2018. She speaks and consults nationally on vaccines derived from aborted fetal cell lines. She is a frequent guest and medical expert on Catholic media outlets, and recurring guest on the Catholic Medical Association's podcast, Dr. Docker. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bertraman.
1: Thank you so much, Andrew, for having me.
0: Yeah, I wanted to start out and just ask you about your life. You know, I think my Catholic doctor started with one Catholic doctor, you. And, and working in the church is really a labor of love, A lot of people I know who start ministries and apostolates do it out of their own pocket. And I imagine My Catholic Doctor might be something like that. So before we know about My Catholic Doctor, I'd love to hear your story.
1: Well, My Catholic Doctor was really many, many years of discernment on my part and the part of my husband. Uh, He's our co-founder. So... Really, it was many years ago that I began asking myself this question, what is Catholic health care anyway? I did a rotation at a Catholic hospital when I was a medical student, and it was my OB-GYN rotation. I also rotated in adolescent medicine at the same Catholic hospital, and I believe that I was placed there by my medical school. Because I they knew that I was Catholic and that I was the director of the uh, the, the, the small Bible study group that we or the coordinator of the small Bible study group for medical students. And so they felt that by placing me at the Catholic hospital for my OB-GYN rotation, that this would be an act of charity for me. It would fit in better there. Um but it didn't work out that way. In fact, uh, they were, uh, you know, I walked in there to this beautiful Catholic hospital, which has incredible artwork and a gorgeous statue of Mary and in the lobby. And there's an oil painting of the Bishop in the lobby and every room has a crucifix. And I went in there so young and naive. I thought, Oh my gosh, this is the kind of doctor I want to be. And here I was a third year medical student and Uh, it, it didn't work out that way. I very quickly realized that this was about the most hostile place for a Catholic to practice medicine because, you know, they, they were not following the teachings of the Catholic church and, um, the, they prescribed contraception and the pills were just hidden under the director's desk and they did sterilizations and didn't even chart them really. Um, and, uh, they would say that you can, you can, you can, cut fallopian tubes when you're doing a c-section but and you know we consent the patient verbally but we don't put it in the chart i'm not kidding this is a long time ago um and i was i was so um terrified um i I, um they knew that i was a faithful catholic a practicing catholic and that i had been to divinity school Mm -hmm. i went to divinity school before i went to medical school and they were as scared of me as i was scared of them Mm -hmm. and um I it was it was just a, a very a very rough um, uh, time and word about me and the fact that I might quote rat on them like you know went around, and then um, the next thing that happened was I had to go to my um, my adolescent medicine rotation at the same hospital and it was a similar story um, they you know they. The director of adolescent medicine sat me down and told, uh, you know, in a waiting room with a crucifix on the wall and said, you know, don't let anyone leave this clinic without contraception. And this is what he said to me, and I quote, I don't care if they say they're a seventh day Adventist and they're not going to have sex until they're 30. Don't let them leave this office without contraception. And um, I I was so young and naive, Andrew. I was like, you know, I want to teach you about natural family planning. And... (laughs) I know this fabulous nun that's gonna that I can come bring bring in here, and she'll give talks about natural family planning and I think and I actually thought that because they worked at a Catholic hospital that they would be supportive of this. Well, it didn't serve me well um and um in the end um I, you know i i um, I didn't get honors for any of i was i I was not downgraded, but I didn't get a very good grade in any of those rotations, despite the fact that I had that I actually had the highest grade on the test and the whole, my whole class for the pediatrics exam, but I, they still didn't give me honors based on my quote clinical performance. Right. Um, and they knew that this pretty much put me out of the running to get a competitive residency position in pediatrics. And so, um, you know, I was really being punished for, um, uh, for, for, what I had made them go through, and um, in the end, it all resulted in me really questioning, what am I doing trying to become a Catholic doctor, and what is the point of Catholic health care anyways? And you know, what is Catholic healthcare? Is it just about contraception and uh, euthanasia and uh, abortion and, um, uh, you know, mental, mental health issues? Is it, is, are those the only fields where you really need a Catholic doctor? Um, and um, I actually just went on and spent like the next 10 plus years really discerning that exact question and praying about what does it mean to be a Catholic a doctor? Um, I went on to um, spend, I actually did, uh, through God's grace, um, I actually got an extremely competitive residency program. I ended up, um, I I had a Catholic, so the end of that story is I had a a faithful Catholic advisor at medical school who understood what happened to me and got me what's called an interview rotation at uh, an extremely competitive pediatric program. So you spend a fourth year rotation as an away student at that institution and if they like you enough they'll accept you into their residency program regardless of what your prior transcript says and that's what i did and he set that all up for me when he realized what happened so god is very good um you know when you carry your cross um god really takes care of his children and i ended up getting the most competitive residency program out of my whole class the most competitive pediatric residency position out of my whole class in medical school so I did, I, I went to Washington University in St. Louis associated with Barnes Jewish Hospital and I loved Catholic healthcare and um, spent 15 very happy years at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, and as, as faculty and as an academic pediatrician there. I hold the record for the most maternity leave ever granted to a Washington University faculty member. And I'm very proud of this and very grateful to WASHU you for all of that support I never would have been able to have this large family if it weren't for them um, but that during that whole time I continued asking this question of what is Catholic health care and uh, what was God really calling me to be and to me to do and there was this clearer call to do something more intentional within Catholic health care and um, then one day the uh, uh, Um, And there was also this interest in telehealth that I should mention that before telehealth ever was a thing, actually starting in um, 2004, I actually wrote this um, proposal about starting telehealth at um, my former at Washington University. And uh, so before telehealth was a thing, I was interested in telehealth. And I went down a couple of what seemed like blind avenues, learning telehealth and learning various administrative roles, learning media. I was media spokesperson for St. Louis Children's Hospital and Washington University for seven years um, and learned how to do television interviews and all of that. Um, and I, I, during all this time, the Lord was, was preparing me. He was giving me a clear skill set of what I needed to start my Catholic doctor. And so then one day... Um, in adoration, um, uh, the call was really made clear, um, I, and I, as I said, I felt that I had the pieces of the puzzle. That I knew the path forward. I knew that I wanted to start a Catholic health company, and I knew that we had the skills and what what it needed, what what it takes to really start that organization. So I came and I told my husband, "Okay, I know what it is. I know what we're meant to do now," and uh, he said okay, sure, let's do it. But it was easy for him to say that because we'd been talking about it for 10 years, right? And mm-hmm. little pieces here and there. And then I said, look, now I've got the whole picture. Now I know the path forward. Mm-hmm. But we went about this in a very reasonable manner. At that time, um, we were happily living in St. Louis. Uh, I, we had six children. We were I was very well employed. Um, and uh, we had paid off our home and our Farm an hour an hour outside of St. Louis, and uh, we were able to homeschool our children. And li- we had wonderful friends and community, and life was very good. And there was no reason to make changes, but. So we started My Catholic Doctor as a small group of six clinicians that knew each other through the National Catholic Medical Association. And our original plan when we incorporated in 2018 was that we were going to be a second opinion service via telehealth. And we were just six people that, you know, no advertising, just word of mouth. We weren't accepting insurance. It's just going to be a little like if you want a second opinion from a Catholic doctor, you can do a telehealth consult. And after we incorporated in that manner, but before we opened clinically, um, the Lord made it clear that He had other plans. But um, it, it was a very painful process, um, actually. And um, um, I skipped some of the other painful parts of this story. <laughs> um, but I, I want to make it clear that the Lord doesn't, um, the Lord does not spare anyone their cross, and that's also true for people um, who really follow a a clear calling from the Lord that often the beginning process of starting a new ministry really includes tremendous suffering. And we were not spared in that suffering, Mm -hmm. um, both on a personal level um, as well as um, on a professional level. Um, But um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to skip some of those details, but just rest assured that the suffering was great. Um, And uh, then um, so so we started this as a small group of people, but the Lord had a different plan. And um, we actually had intended to start um, a partnership with another organization that um, was going to, to provide us with an anchor patient population and um, some money to get started, and especially from serving that population. And in the end, um, that relationship did not uh, work out. And it didn't, it, the the end of it didn't it didn't end nicely um and but what happened was um during the most of 2018 we grew our organization from those original six people to 36 uh, clinicians offering services in 50 states so that's really where we became a large organization and that was the good part that came out of that relationship so when that other organization ended their relationship with us um we Um, We're left in this situation um, where we had uh, 36 employees signed and contracted and um, technology contracts and a lot of costs and um, no startup funding and no startup patient population. And it was a significant financial hardship. my husband and I had put in almost all of the original investment doctor uh, dollars, actually all except $10,000 of the original investment money came out of our personal finances. And, um, with the loss of this partnership, um, we were in a personally very difficult financial situation. Um, we sold our house and our farm, both of which we had paid off and we moved to Connecticut to be closer to my family. We moved from Missouri to Connecticut, um, Um, So that we could have the support of my parents while we started this ministry. Um, And um, also, um, we lived with my parents for um, almost two years. And so in the end, it was all really a blessing. Um, I was happy to live with my parents when I delivered my seventh child. Um, And then uh, the Lord really provided and we did get our own home. So um, we are in our own home now, but we were able to take the proceeds from the sale of our home and our farm, and um, use that to to as really the rest of the startup funding for my Catholic doctor, and um, and also um, and then what was left we we used to buy our existing home. So um, so we did it. So um, we when we ended our relationship with this other. Our initial partner organization we actually closed we had been open two days clinically we closed and then reopened as a 501c3 not-for-profit in january 2019 um uh and uh we in 2019 we were open kind of like in a skeleton mode with a low patient volume but then um We knew we had to get a bunch of ducks in a row. We had to improve our technology. We had to um, improve our our clinicians. we get a greater um, volume of clinicians uh, offering more services in more states. And we knew we had to be able to accept insurance. And we'll get more into that, Andrew, because it was very important to us from the beginning that we make our services accessible to everyone, that our mission is clear. Our mission is to make Catholic healthcare accessible to everyone. Let me say that again. The mission of My Catholic Doctor is to make Catholic health care accessible to everyone. So we knew that most people don't choose how they pay for their health care. And we had, in order for us to meet that mission, we had to be able to accept diverse forms of payment for health care. So that meant figuring out this insurance um, mess, which it is. It's a real mess. Healthcare insurance is a big mess. And figuring out how to accept it for te- services rendered via telehealth in 50 states. And I should add that we're not telehealth only. Many of our clinicians do provide house calls, and we do have a number of in-person locations that have now opened. So we did that. In 2019, um, we um, f- figured out how to bill insurance, or we started that process. And and we launched, We built, my husband's company built a whole custom-built telehealth technology platform and donated it to my Catholic doctor. We launched that platform on November 1st, 2019. It went off without a hitch, which was by God's grace alone, And then we were in the right place at the right time for the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: Wow. That's amazing. One, I want to pause a few points in that story. One, at the beginning, it sounded like you were able to live your faith more freely and more joyfully at the non-Catholic hospital than at the Catholic hospital. I don't Yes,
1: that's been my experience and it's been repeated. So um, I I did skip a little portion there actually. um, So I was official spokesperson for Washington university department of pediatrics in St. Louis children's hospital and the American Academy of pediatrics for seven years. Um, And in that role, um, 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 I was able to, I really had every tool at my disposal for for public influence. I mean, my blog had more than a million readers. I was on all the major national television networks. Um, And I had this sort of glitzy, glamorous mom pediatrician career. And, um, And I knew the day was coming when I would be too conservative for that position, but I was able to pull it off a long time. And I was able to pull it off um, being very bold in my words that I was I, I, I went right up to the line without really speaking um, about faith but I was able to speak of a very pro-life voice and um, and, and really challenge uh, uh, secular uh, uh, views on healthcare, especially especially um, pro-choice views and, and 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 at the end of the seven years doing this I've, I asked myself, like, have I really answered the call of Jesus Christ to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom? I had every tool at my disposal to be effective in the media, and I wasn't afraid to be extremely bold in my words, as long as I remained secular, which was the requirement of my employer. Um, and for many years, I really tried to to speak the truth in secular words, right and. I thought I could do it, but after seven years of doing that, did did I help? I think I was very effective in helping people raise healthier families, but I don't think I was effective in answering the call of Jesus Christ to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. Mm -hmm. I don't think I proclaimed the kingdom, and that really hung on my heart and I knew I wanted to speak with the whole voice of my faith. I desperately wanted to. So the day came when I was too conservative for that position, I knew that was coming. I did finally leave Washington University. I went to Mercy Hospital um, St. Louis for a period of time. Um, I've said their names, so I'm gonna be careful about what I say, but um, uh, uh, um, I think my experience at Mercy Hospital St. Louis mirrors my experience of now interviewing more than 250 clinicians that want to be a part of my Catholic doctor. That across the board, I hear the same story again and again that experiences what I experienced um, in Catholic healthcare, which is that at best, at the most Catholic hospitals are not discriminating against Catholic clinicians, that you m- may be allowed to practice NFP there. You may be allowed to say you oppose abortion there. But there are very, very few institutions that are you know really insisting that every one of their clinicians abide by the ethical and religious directives of the US Conference of Catholic Bishops. Most of them have it in their bylaws, but it's not enforced. Mm. And uh, many um, uh, Catholic health systems even tell people during clinicians during their in, you know during the onboarding process and, and new provider orientation that they're not enforced. Um, So, um, you know, Catholic health care, it's really, really tragic. So this was the next stage of my discernment um, was what happened to Catholic health care? Only 250 years ago, we had tens of thousands of religious that took vows of poverty, chastity and obedience and dedicated their whole lives to Catholic health care and building these incredible institutions, the legacy of which still dots our country with all these buildings dotted across the country that have crosses on the outside and beautiful religious art inside and religious names. But Andrea, you and I both know that inside those buildings, there, there are only a subset of clinicians, a small number of clinicians that are truly trained and experienced in the practice of Catholic health care. Mm. And... That And that sometimes inside those institutions, those people are even discriminated against. And it's harder to work in a Catholic. In, in some cases, it is harder for Catholic clinicians to work in Catholic healthcare care than it is for them to work in secular health care. And so, I, you know, I went through this process of, like, do I, like, you know, there, there's a certain anger about this, you know. And, um, and, I, and I really had to think about what happened. Like, how did all these institutions so quickly, um, you know, start? offering you know ivf and and um uh, and contraception i won't go into it the service is not consistent service is not consistent with catholic teaching Mm -hmm. and um i finally you know it, it was my clear discernment that i wasn't called to to try to you know, get rid of the, the dirt in these institutions. And I, I actually offered in the very beginning, I, I, I did speak with my former employer, um, Mercy St. Louis, and I, about building all of my Catholic doctor through them and collaborating with them. And they, they just weren't interested. And, um, and then I actually contacted two other um, major Catholic health systems about my idea, and they were not interested. Um, and um and then I, the, the discernment was clear and, and one of one of, a a C level person at one of those institutions said to me, Kathleen, this is beautiful work. Do it independently. Don't do it in collaboration with any major Catholic health system. And so that's what we've done. We've built a network of Catholic clinicians that are are are, are called to this mission of making Catholic health care accessible. And it's authentic Catholic health care. And um we and we also worked uh, it, it works the other way around. It's not just for the patients, it's for the clinicians, that it's an opportunity for us to mm-hmm. practice with the full voice of our faith in a very faithful environment.
0: Yeah. So two things there. First, just the idea that a Catholic hospital isn't like any other hospital that just happens to have the Catholic label. Like this is just a regular hospital and we happen to have Catholic on the sign and a cross on the wall and a chapel somewhere tucked away in the building, right? It, this can happen with our Catholic schools too, that it's just a school like any other school that happens to have religion class once a week or every day or what have you. But a Catholic hospital or a Catholic school is a part of the church, meaning it expresses the church's worldview from top to bottom. the, The way that it operates is, is living within the values of the church. And I think what we found is these big institutions, uh, We've been kind of lulled into a sense that we're, we're like everyone else, except we just happen to be Catholic. And it's not the case. Um, it, there's a, a great book that was written. It's called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. And, and I think um, you might want to, someday on your biography, you can say from influencer to apostle. <laughs> you know, and, and that's sort of like the dream for a lot of people is to become the influencer, like write the books, get on the news stations, be the person people go to to get the answers from. Um but that's like you said it does some good, but it's not what we're called to in the gospel. Jesus wasn't an influencer, right? He gets baptized in the Jordan and you think he'd want to keep the momentum going after everyone heard God's voice. But then he goes out in the desert for 40 days and prays. <laughs> it's like it's very clear Jesus wasn't trying to get a crowd, he was trying to change hearts. Um so so first like I love that story. And like going from like having your own home in your own farm to like moving back in with your parents. Like how many doctors who haven't had their medical license revoked could say that? <laughs> right? If the if the cross doesn't have a high cost, but that's but that's apostolate. You know, it's not it's not about the money, it's not about the lifestyle, it's not about the reputation, it's about having the heart of Christ in the world. Um and, and I love that that's the foundation of my Catholic doctor. You know, it reminded me of the quote from St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, she's, she's thrown off the horse and she says, if this is how you treat your friends, God, no matter you have, no wonder you have so few, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the call. And it actually resonates with some of getting awakened Catholic started here because there isn't money in podcasting. People think because you have a microphone in front of your face and headphones on your head that, you're, that this is somehow uh, making money. But, but we, we spend money to make these podcasts, you know, know to, to know. the expense of of the Delatori family who founded Awaken Catholic, to all the creators, um, some even traveling into the studio at, at their own expense. Um, you know, so, so these apostolates start really as an act of sacrifice. And, 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 and that's what it has to be about um, because the Lord calls us to do his work with a pure heart. And as human people, if there's no sacrifice, we very quickly become corrupted. Our hearts, aren't designed to remain free if we're not making sac- that sacrifice. And I think that's to some extent what's happened in these great institutions. As, as, as the church has gotten strong and these institutions have flourished, we've lost sight of what the end is, what the goal is, what the purpose is. Right? We're a non-profit, quote-unquote, but the way we interpret that is the money has to go into the mission. But if the mission becomes the growth of the institution— then that means we need to increase the bottom line to build the next hospital. Right? We have to make more money in order to get better doctors, and so on and so forth. But there isn't a consideration of, is this institution building the kingdom of God? Right? Is this institution saving souls? Um, and, and so I, I love hearing your story. It's resonating with me, and thank you for doing it, <laughs> because it's, it's frankly what the world needs.
1: Well, all good things come from the Lord, Andrew, and thank you for what you're
0: doing. Amen. Well, let's talk a little bit more about authentic Catholic health care. A lot of people don't realize that the whole hospital system, medical system, really grew out of the church. It grew, yes. along with the universities, out of the monastic system, right? So, so there were these centers of culture of life. Like, I'm, I'm reading a really old novel right now, and the daughter of this family gets injured, and the person who came and administered the medicine to the child was the priest and they were commenting about how well the priest in the town over was a little bit better with medicine so they kind of wished that he would have showed up and you know but there was this connection in the church that a lot of times the the doctor in town was also the priest in town and the priest was also the teacher in town but the the, the church carried forth the, these missions into people's day-to-day lives uh, so would you just talk a little bit more about like what are, Catholic health care really is?
1: So, for 2,000 years, the church has had three primary ministries mm. sacraments, education, and health care. Mm. And that's what you just summarized. Originally, they were all centered around the parish and the monastic system. And certainly, the educational system and the university system grew out of the monastic system, as did the hospital system, right? Our hospital systems. Grew out of the, the the monastic system. And you know, it's it's just tragic to me that really over the past sixty years in the United States, the church has lost track of Catholic health care. And there's still parishes and there's still Catholic schools for the most part, but many dioceses don't even have a Catholic hospital anymore. And I even had the director of human resources for a Catholic diocese say to me, why do you really need a Catholic doctor anyways? Hmm. He said, you know, when my wife was pregnant and having a baby, we wanted a Catholic OB-GYN because we just wanted somebody that wouldn't, you know, encourage her to use birth control. But I mean, other than these few situations, I think most people just want the best doctor. They don't necessarily want a Catholic doctor. That's when, um, I I knew um, that that we had an uphill battle um, trying to um, collaborate with with human resources departments from from dioceses. Um, but um, I, I, but but it, it, it points out the, the key key point that only sixty years you know really sixty years ago. There's this picture on Twitter. It's incredible picture of. The Eucharist um, coming through a Catholic hospital and all the nurses and, and the staff kneeling um, as the Eucharist came through um, down the hallway. And there's an altar boy in front ringing a bell. And then there's another picture of the nurses at change of shift. And they're kneeling around the table at the nurse's station, praying together before they give nursing report. And I look at this picture and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? I, I can't imagine that. I mean I work in hospitals and um and this is only sixty years ago. so what the heck happened? you know sixty years later, we have you know people that you know that 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 figure out the health plans for diocese saying, Why do you need a Catholic doctor anyways and um the the answer fundamentally is that you want someone that heals the sick and answers the call of Jesus Christ to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. The Catholic health care at its root meets people where they are in their suffering and is present to them throughout the course of their illness. The Catholic health care uses really strong ethics to find root, or sorry, really strong science to find root cause of illness Mm -hmm. and then treats that underlying cause. We used to, this is just good medicine, right? We used to just call this Catholic medicine. There's a new secular term for it. It's called functional medicine, Mm -hmm. right? So functional medicine is just that. It's finding root cause of illness and treating root cause rather than just, you know, matching symptoms to a pharmaceutical. And that is what's happening. You know, there's these, these expert systems now used by a lot of you know online and telehealth companies where you fill out a survey or you fill out a form you say these are my symptoms the computer suggests a pharmaceutical and a plan and a diagnosis and the doctor either just approves that or they if they need to they see the patient via video but in some cases they just approve it so you've got computers matching symptoms to diagnoses and pharmaceuticals right this is not catholic health care right catholic health care is at at the root it, it you know doctors are called to seek truth through the study of the natural world and medical sciences and bring the beauty of that healing truth to their patients and to treat the to heal the patient using the mind body and spirit using spiritual approaches when needed referring for the sacraments when needed And, um, and certainly treating the uh, mental health of a patient as well as the physical health. So it's, um, and using the best science and um, the best relationship, interpersonal relationship possible. So, you know, some people think Catholic healthcare is just about those push button issues, like Abortion, contraception, euthanasia, right? And, and and these are very, very important issues. I don't want to undermine them. And certainly we we all practice in accordance with Catholic teaching on these issues at my Catholic doctor. But actually, I think the most common ethical issue encountered by the Catholic physician is not abortion, contraception, or euthanasia. It's whether or not to listen to your patient's suffering and be present in their suffering. So, you know, when I, I had a job... Um, Uh, where I was paid, I was working in an ER and I was paid a base rate and then a certain amount per patient I saw. And then if you saw over a certain number of patients, the rate per patient would go up. So you were really pushed to see as many patients as possible. And, um, and, uh, I had a colleague that was really, really fast. Oh my gosh, he was in and out of those patient rooms so fast. And um, he would get a, this $10,000 bonus like every every, every uh, quarter or whenever it was. And um, and I didn't. Um, why? Because my volume was lower. Why? Because I was listening to those parents. I mean, they, they all come to the ER and want to be listened to. They want their suffering to be listened to. And if you choose to do so, you make less money. And that was actually the... the the most common ethical dilemma I found myself facing Mm -hmm. is whether to listen to patients suffering and be present in their suffering or make more money. And at my Catholic doctor, we address this by, um, by using, uh, for one, we use something called time-based billing. So that allows us to, um, um, to bill for time spent with patient, not just the complexity of the patient. Um, and the other thing, um, that we've done is, as we've used the the savings from telehealth, and we put that back into the doctor-patient relationship. So, you know, the, with telehealth, your overhead is g- drastically reduced from a um, an in-person facility. And if you look at the for-profit telehealth companies in the United States, like the big ones, like Doctor on Demand, MD Live, uh, tel- Teledoc, what they're doing is they're taking all of that savings. And they're giving—they're for-profit companies. They're—they're—they're they're, they're taking the extra money made and they're giving it to their shareholders. But at my Catholic doctor, um, we are a five hundred one c three not-for-profit, and we're able to um, take the reduced overhead cost and instead pay our doctors for the time spent with patients, which is why we're able to use time-based billing. You make more money if you use complexity-based billing. But we use time-based, we primarily use time-based billing and we pay our doctors, you know, about three times what the other major telehealth companies do um, per patient. So this, um, and, and, and what are we not doing? We're not giving profits to shareholders, right? Instead, we're putting that money back into the doctor-patient relationship so that that clinician can truly be present to that patient, truly listen to them, um, be present in their suffering, but also really listen to their symptoms, get a full history and, and seek and order appropriate labs and seek root cause of disease so that you can then treat the root cause of illness.
0: Yeah, this this is huge. So one, the foundation of really Catholic social teaching is the dignity of the human person and the right to life. So like the way you're approaching it, of encountering the person. That's what Jesus did, right? He didn't come to get a crowd. He came to change hearts. So he found 12 guys, and they lived life together for three years. And that's how he started the church. And through that process of living together, he reformed their hearts. They formed new attachments. They were healed of trauma. You know, he he loved the men into being the apostles, right? And And that's how it worked. So that's, that's, what you're doing. I mean, part of the therapy is the love, frankly, and, and there's a, a ton of experiments I think that play this out in various ways that we could, we could dig into. Um, but that's, that's so essential. That piece. Um, it's also bold because uh, people that aren't on the inside of the medical industry. So the way it works is the doctor based on your constellation of symptoms assigned you a diagnosis and there's a code that goes with that, that the insurance company uses but with each one of those codes, there's something called a standard of care, meaning based on what studies there are and kind of the, the, the generally accepted way of approaching things, there's, there's sort of a way you're supposed to do it. And it's like got it's a bit of a pack mentality, and that provides the doctor with the security, right? If they're in the standard of care, they're more protected from getting sued. Their liability insurance is more likely to cover them, um, so it really kind of incentivizes the doctor um, to kind of find the simple solution to give the pharmaceutical to not dig deeper to not encourage you to solve your problem because that more functional approach that that approach that requires you to change your lifestyle is more likely not to succeed because it requires the patient uh, to reliably do whatever they have to do to get healthy uh, so so the system incentivizes the doctor to basically control the situation by applying the pharmaceutical as opposed to being vulnerable to the patient being faithful to the prescription, right? So so what you're doing is you're encountering the people, but there's also then a mutual vulnerability, right? And that's another essential piece of of any love relationship. Um, Yeah, so just digging into all that. I love it.
1: well what a beautiful summary andrew um very few people um, really recognize this key role mm-hmm. of catholic health care as as relationship and um and, and seeking truth through the sciences um one of our our challenges in our current situation is really finding that solid science right because mm-hmm. Good medicine is good science. Good science is good medicine. We can't have good medicine without good science, and good ethics is good science, right? We can't have good ethics without good science. And um, part of what we're really challenged by in our current political environment is um, the politicization of a lot of our scientific research, and that's part of um, it's been uh, part of the experience that my Catholic doctor has gone through um, since we were founded. You know, we we opened pre-COVID. And it's been, it's been a joy to watch the robust, respectful, academic, and scientific conversation amongst our clinicians on how to treat COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And there's been diversity of opinion, um, but and plenty of respectful disagreement. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is that, um, first of all, they've all been nothing but respectful and kind and engaging, but also seeking truth through science and really looking hard at the studies and making decisions about what studies were appropriately designed and what data can and should be used and what can't, data can and should not be used. This is really hard work. And um, you're generally not paid anymore if you've done it or if you have it. And it, it takes a faithful heart to do it.
0: Yeah, typically, doctors just get the bulletin from their state health department and then just do whatever it says. Like that's a lot that's of the, right. the research that goes into what you're getting at your primary care physician, largely. So you have to look into the how the study is designed. But before that even is who paid for the study, right? <laughs> then what are the yes. conflicts of interest of the researchers who are carrying it out? What right. their what their hypothesis is, because sometimes they don't even state what the hypothesis is. And then have they actually um, have they actually interpreted the data accurately? Right, because the right. temptation is there's so many studies, like more than anyone could ever read. So a lot of people just read the abstract right at the top. So so this is is like really hard work (laughs) to to really dig into it um, and get a sense. I mean, you could you could probably hire a a team of researchers and they would still struggle to just bring conclusive answers. Um, Sometimes concierge doctors actually do that. They'll have a research cohort as part of their practice. Um, Yeah, that (laughs) that's really great. Um, so I'm curious, you have, you had mentioned at one time, how many practitioners you have in the practice, right? Obviously your, your healthcare is as good as the doctor who's, who's seeing you. What's your like process? Like, how do you guarantee that? Like somebody who's just sort of Catholic doesn't sneak in, (laughs) you know? Sure.
1: Well, first of all, they, you know, they're somewhat self-selecting because of the name of our organization. So you have to be willing to put your name and face on a website called my Catholic doctor which, um, is, um, is in and of itself dangerous. You know, mm. when I first founded this organization, one of my colleagues at WashU said to me, you know, Kathleen, you're committing professional suicide. Mm. And, um, so, to put your name and face on our website it, it is not uh, not trivial. That's the first point. Secondly, um, they they do all sign a contract that says that has a seven day termination clause. If you if you do not follow the teachings of the Catholic Church as defined by three sets of documents, which are the ethical and religious directives of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, the ethical policy statements of the Catholic Medical Association, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So, if anybody hears that you're not Practicing in accordance with these documents, you know, we will terminate. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not just there and it's not enforced, as does occur in some Catholic institutions. Um, we, we, I make it, we make it very clear to everyone at the time of hiring that we will enforce um, these these rules, and there's a seven day termination clause on that. Um, now, um, I, they all also go through um, an interview process. Um, they all also go through an interview process um, uh, when they're hired, where they have to verbally commit to not only the the, the, the Catholic teaching part is in a signed contract, but they have to verbal also verbally commit to praying for the work and to seeking personal holiness. Because if we're not all praying for the work every day and trying to grow in personal holiness, we're really no different than any other healthcare institution. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that it's not just the patient doctor emphasis, but it's also the doctor doctor emphasis, right? On some level, you know them all, right? And and yes. probably at any given hospital in the country, the doctors probably actually don't all know each other at least in that depth, maybe. Um, yeah. So so what what's kind of the the breadth of services? Like, I, I know part of it is kind of different states, and there's different licensing and different insurance billing. So there's I know some services might be limited to like the states the doctors are licensed in, but then other services are probably available everywhere, Um, but depending on how many practitioners you have, you could kind of offer everything everywhere, too.
1: (laughs) So we're a rapidly growing organization with currently more than 100 clinicians offering some service in all of the 50 states, as well as some services in Canada, Mexico, the UK, and the Caribbean. Um, We... Um, our primary, we offer a full service medical practice with all of virtual primary care and um, urgent care services. But the most common reason why people come to us is because they're seeking a specifically Catholic service, especially um, fertility and women's health care, natural family planning, restorative reproductive medicine. Also, um, men's health and fertility is a huge issue, as well as um weight management and um and, and trying to seek um, a, a method of behavior change and behavior modification that um really incorporates catholic spirituality we also um, provide um, a lot of mental health services and we have a beautiful new program um for uh, dementia people living with dementia that's in collaboration with the carmelite sisters of the Aged and firm we work with um um, Sister Anne Frances Klein of the Nashville Dominicans or the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia with mm-hmm. our college program and natural family planning. We've collaborated with um, the Catholic Couples NFP or CCNFP for a no-cost natural family planning program, mm-hmm. um, no cost to the patient. We um, have collaborated with the Religious Sisters of Mercy of Alma, Sister Marisha Weber is the chair of our board and um, we've collaborated with the Little Workers of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary in a couple of ways, and we provide telehealth to one of their schools, and in fact, we have a whole school telehealth program bringing Catholic healthcare to Catholic schools, and we do a few other things too.
0: That's huge. I mean, so I, I work for the church for our local diocese, and one of the most common calls we get is, well, probably the two most common, one looking for mental health care, looking for counselors who are Catholic, psychologists, psychiatrists who are Catholic. Two is that, that fertility piece, like a NAPRO doctor. What do we do for infertility? What do we do if we know we shouldn't have another child, but we want to practice NFP? You know, all these, these questions are, are huge. Um, yeah. But to get to the nearest NAPRO doctor, a lot of times people have to drive hours to get to their practice. So, so just the fact that all of those services are available virtually – all over the country. I mean, that's, that's a massive thing.
1: <laughs> and we have, a, we have a few um, in-person locations. We recognize that telehealth will never a hundred percent replace in-person healthcare. However, our success stories are remarkable. You know, we have a, a patient, an infertility patient in Hawaii who had seen more than 10 infertility specialists, most out of pocket costs that they didn't have enough money to afford. And, um, she saw, finally, she saw one of our clinicians who is, that physician is based in California. This patient never saw the California doctor in person. It was all telehealth. Mm-hmm. She had a local OB-GYN who, in Hawaii, who had examined her and she was able to, you know, send those records to her, my Catholic doctor, physician. There's no re- need to repeat a pelvic exam when it's already been done by a board certified mm-hmm. OB-GYN. Um, and her uh, this um, NAPRO doctor in California was able to order the extensive laboratory testing she needed. Um, she was able to get all those labs drawn locally in Hawaii. And um, in three months' time, she was pregnant. And she's now at uh, about 20 weeks. So, um, you know, telehealth can be very, very successful. Even, you know, who would have thought infertility care could be so successfully done via telehealth? Um, but it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, the world was forced into telehealth for a while, so... If people haven't got on board, then you never know when it's going to happen again. Um, so yeah, I think I think telehealth is definitely the way of the future on a few different levels. One, um, like I said, there just it, there aren't the services everywhere, and much less Catholic services everywhere. So the right. ac, the access is huge. And then and then second, like you said, a lot can be done in collaboration between local doctors and then the telehealth doctor. A lot of times, right. it's the consultation that's needed. It's understanding things from the ethical perspective knowing what other options are out there that their doctor hasn't offered to them or made them aware of. Like all of these right. things are super essential. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to touch on was part of Catholic social teaching that's huge is just the option for the poor. You know, the, the easiest way to do client services is to charge a lot of money. That, that's the easiest way to do it. Because let's say like I'm like I, I do uh, coaching and spiritual direction. If I charge $50 for a session, let's say, at that point, you know, maybe half of it is actually money that ends up in my pocket. The rest goes into all the overhead, the cost of yes. the website, the services, the, the insurance, et cetera, et cetera. If I charge $100, then I haven't just doubled my price. I've tripled my profit. Right. So then if I charge $200, I've now seven times my profit, from $25 for the session to $175 for the session. And this is easy to do because you're using the same amount of time, but you need like 20% of the clients in order to yep. turn the profit. So you set yourself right. up where you're working like 10 hours a week, and then you're just sipping pina colada the rest of the week or doing whatever you want to do. But what it does is it makes, it makes the care you offer, it makes the services you offer inaccessible to people, so just hearing yeah. that you've done the hard work of starting to navigate the insurance landscape, and I'm sure it's probably an endless struggle that you have to deal with. Um, it, that's 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 so big because that that gives access to such a large percentage of the population um, to the services you're providing. W- would you just talk more about that process of like making healthcare accessible? And then
1: yeah. I- you know, I, I spent so much time discerning this when we started this organization, and there's no end of people that advised us to go with some sort of a, a concierge model or mm. anyway a direct pay model or a direct primary care model something that anything that cut out the insurance billing industry and in fact if you look at secular healthcare startups right now um, in the United States there's all these different ideas and models and really cool stuff out there but there's one thing they all have in common which is they cut out the insurance billing industry why because it is a state- pile of poop I can't begin to tell you how hard it is to navigate this system how much money it costs to navigate this system and and what what do you get for for all of this is you get paid a lot less if you're in network with an insurance company and um, for my Catholic doctor it's been truly the thorn in our side to to deal with the insurance billing industry on a daily basis and we're still working on it every single day but from that um, to make Catholic health care accessible to everyone, we had to accept diverse methods of payment, recognizing that many people do not choose how they pay for their health care. So if you choose a direct primary care model or um, a self-pay model, these are very important models and there's wonderful people offering fabulous services through these models. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know put them down. I think there's a place for each of these models. But um, there's, there's this significant portion of people that really can't afford health care outside of their employer-provided health plan or their health plan that they're you know, scraping by paying for each month. And if you're not part of that plan, they can't afford it. And so this really impedes access to Catholic health care. So we knew from the beginning we had to be able to accept insurance. Um, so we accept diverse forms of payment. We have very low self-pay rates. Um, we can direct contract with Catholic employers. Um, we can... Uh, we accept um, as many forms of insurance as we possibly can. It's a it's a process. Right now, we do not have Medicaid in every state, but we're working on it. Yeah. Um, we do accept yeah. Medicare nationwide, and we accept all major national insurance companies, and we are um, slowly getting the smaller regional carriers.
0: Yeah, that's huge. Um, so we're kind of winding down on time. So I want to just open it up. Is there anything else? that you would want to tell the audience before we, we jump off?
1: Um, I want to thank each and every one of them for their faithfulness. And remember that God keeps his promises, right? His promise for salvation of those who love him. And I think as you struggle with your own illnesses um, and, and, and and you know physical and mental illness, is a primary form of suffering that the Lord has allowed for all of antiquity, right? And no one is spared their cross in physical illness and suffering, right? And um, when you're at, when you're there, um, to remember uh, that there, that the Lord keeps His promises to those who love Him, and that those promises and, and that and Jesus Christ heals, right? And sometimes he heals um, as a miracle. But most of the time, the Lord expects us as clinicians and as patients to use what St. Ignatius of Loyola called, quote, the intellectual gifts with which God has bestowed us, end quote. We're supposed to use our brain, our intellect, the medical sciences. And even Padre Pio, you know, all these people that were healed seeing him, but he... Built a hospital for all the people that weren't healed, and so the answer in that to that physical suffering that the Lord's allowed it is is mind, body, and spirit. Right? It's sacraments, education, and healthcare. And in, when you're in that place, use those three gifts of the church: the sacraments, the education, and the Catholic healthcare. And remember that the Lord keeps His promises to those who love Him.
0: Well, you heard it here, folks. If you haven't checked it out yet, go over to My Catholic Doctor. Dot com. Uh, if you're looking for a primary care physician, you need help with fertility care, mental health care, learning NFP, counseling, weight loss, I mean, across the gambit. So if you're looking for a Catholic doctor, want a 2nd opinion, um, you maybe you're having some children, that's kind of where my wife and I are in life, um, head over to My Catholic Doctor, check out their practitioners, sign up, and I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on Physically Spiritual. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awaken Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.